0: be a while since you've read uh, the book of Ruth so let me give you a quick update kind of refresher reminder of what was in Ruth chapter one uh, before we get into the second the second chapter so Ruth one begins really with the story of Naomi you could call the book Naomi because it's in some ways more her story than it is Ruth's story and Naomi's life starts in tragedy continues in even deeper tragedy And then she ends the first chapter really under a a dark cloud. She says, God's hand is against me. And God's hand is heavy upon me. Because they had experienced the famine in Bethlehem, the house of bread. They left and had to go to the land of Moab. And that should send a shiver through our spines. The Moabites were not good people. It would be like moving to um, Iraq a few years ago under the days of ISIS. You know, something that would really not be a good idea at all. You remember those news reports from a couple of years ago. Not a good thing to do, to move to Moab, but perhaps their hands were forced. There was a famine in the land, and so off they go. So tragedy to begin with, and then it gets even worse. And all the men in the family die. Um, The husband, and then the two sons. And we're left with three widows who turn around and head back home. Nothing left to do. Nothing for it but to go home and die. At least that's what Naomi Naomi thinks. She's under a cloud. God's hand, she says, is against her. She can't see hope at all. Everything is dark, except that there is somebody by her side, a faithful daughter-in-law, Ruth, who says, no, I won't go back home to my idols. I won't go back home to my family, to familiarity. I won't go and follow the eyes of my sight, of my body. I won't just look at circumstances. I'm going to look at God's covenant. I want to be part of God's people. So she makes this wonderful promise in chapter one, if you've got it open there. um, uh, Chapter one, verse 16, Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. I'll make your home my home. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. She promises even beyond death to stick by Naomi's side, because she's trusting the promises of God. She turns her back on her old land, her old home, and makes her way to her real home, to be with God and with his people forever. So that's where the chapter one ends. Naomi comes back, still bitter, still wanting to change her name to bitterness. But really, God is working behind the scenes. She should have seen it, but she couldn't see it. Um, Ruth was there with her. The barley harvest is about to begin. God's people who are empty are about to be filled up. And that's where we get to in Ruth chapter 2. So why don't I pray and then I'll read it to you. Lord God, we thank you for your word again. Thank you for beautiful stories like the book of Ruth. Lord, we pray as we approach it this evening, as we come to your word, that as you promise it to be, Lord, that this would be living words to us today. This would be a, a, a a sword um, sh- that's sharper than a two edged sword, Lord. That it would cut away what needs to be cut away in our lives, that it would bind up and um, feed and nourish us wherever we need feeding and nourishing and comforting. Lord, we pray as we come to your word this evening that you would come to us by your Spirit, you would teach us, that you would lead us to your Son, and that we would be glorifying you in all of our thoughts and words. We pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Ruth chapter 2. If you've got it there, you can follow along. As we go, I want you to look out for two big characters. Um, look out for Ruth and look out for Boaz. And you could ask yourself a question. Um, what kind of character do they have? What kind of people do they have? And then how does that character remind you of their great, 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 great grandson, the Lord Jesus? They're, really, they're pointing towards him. So Ruth and Boaz, they're the two main characters in this chapter. How do they... What do they look like? What's their character like? And how do they point us towards their great-grandson, the Lord Jesus? Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come, just so happened to come, to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come, come here, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. She ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean among the sheaves and don't reproach her. Also pull some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she'd gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up, went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left left over after being satisfied at lunchtime. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Bless be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness hasn't forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite said, besides me, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Good. It's a great story, isn't it? And some beautiful characters. You'll find, I think I maybe said this last time, that Ruth is a book that doesn't have many big sins in it. The biggest sins that you'll find are kind of lack of faith, like Orpah, if you remember from chapter one, the other um, daughter-in-law who who goes away, or the man in chapter four, who's another kinsman redeemer, who comes along and and decides not to do his duty, doesn't trust the Lord. Um, And so he misses out on an opportunity. This, really, that's about as bad as it gets. People lack faith. Um, But it is beautiful, isn't it? The character of these people is really wonderful. So I know maybe this isn't our um, regular practice, but I thought it would be a, a good idea to, instead of just listening to me speak the whole time, To turn in pairs or threes where we are. And this side of the room, you're going to look at Ruth. This side of the room, you're going to look at Boaz. On YouTube, you can decide who to look at yourself. But those are our big two main characters. And see if you can, in your discussion, answer those questions I mentioned at the beginning. What do you learn about their character? What kind of people are they? Ruth, Boaz. And how do they lead us to their great, great, great grandson, the Lord Jesus? How does their character, what they do, look a little bit like, remind us? Um, smell a little bit like the Lord Jesus in the way that they are and the way that they act. Go for it. I'll give you a couple of minutes to discuss that together. If you're not in a pair, maybe you can turn and and join one behind you. Okay, hope you have something to share. I'm sorry if if, it doesn't feel like an awful lot of time. But um, anybody just shout out a couple of things? We'll look at Ruth first. What kind of character is Ruth? I'm sorry if you're on YouTube and you can't shout out as you might like to. But um, what do we hear or see it in Ruth? She was quite brave. Yeah. Brave, yeah, she was very brave. What makes her brave? Um, well, the fact that she says, let me go to the field of the game. Yes. She's called a place she'd never known. She's called no. people. Yeah. OK, yeah, that's I, that's really good to see. Just to repeat that for the folks on YouTube, uh, we're talking about how Ruth is brave in this, not only going to a field, a place that she doesn't know, but um, um, yeah, taking the initiative, I suppose. And how, why would she be brave? Well, maybe it's something she's seen in Naomi, in somebody who worships a different God who's different to her. It's especially brave, I think you're along the right lines, because of what we read at the end of Judges. Flick back a page if you've got a paper Bible. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And this story, Ruth chapter 1 verse 1, is set in the days when the judges ruled. So this is a chaotic place. There's no king, there's no rule of law, there's no police. And so if you're a woman, you're basically at the mercy of what the strong and powerful men around you choose to do and if they choose to do what many of the men do in the stories of the judges it can be a brutal and horrific place to live but if they choose to do what Boaz does we'll get to him in a second it can be a can be a beautiful place of life and provision and protection but she doesn't know what it's going to be but and so so she shows an enormous bravery doesn't she putting herself into the hands of who knows whose field just so happens to walk into Boaz but could have been any other Okay, yeah. What do we see? Else, do we see about Ruth? She's brave. Um, she's taken the initiative. Any other things? Want to shout out? She's loyal. Yeah, very loyal to Naomi. Um, we often think of Ruth, this book of Ruth, as a love story between Boaz and Ruth, uh, but actually, the only time the word love is used right at the end of chapter four, and it's used. The women of the town say. Ruth, your daughter-in-law, she really loves you, doesn't she? Um, And that is, it's a a love story, but not quite what you would think. I think Boaz and Ruth do love each other, I'm sure they do. Um, But really, it's a story about Ruth's amazing covenant love, her loyalty, her loyal love, like the love of God to us, to her mother-in-law, to even give her a baby. Um, who's going to restore her family line. It's a book full of loyalty. You're you're exactly right. Any other thing? One more thing maybe about Ruth that you spotted? How about her humility? Um, She doesn't presume on Boaz's kindness, does she? But okay, we'll get to that a little bit more in a second. Um, What about Boaz? Anybody spot anything over on this side of the room about Boaz's character? Yeah. 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 From the first line, the first thing you hear him say, the Lord be with you. And his workers really seem to care for him, don't they? No, Boaz, the Lord be with you. You, you are a great guy. Um, they seem to really love him, don't they? And trust him. And his, his power, his worthiness, that is a big loaded word, the first sentence. Um, uh, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. That could mean that he's a man of high social standing, could mean that he's a man of great wealth it's also a word for warrior like a man of valor Uh, and he's all three isn't he if you know I've just said the time of the judges it's a time where men have to be strong and stand up to the brutality of others lawless men it's a time when well he's a wealthy man he's got lots of fields he's a big cheese in Bethlehem and a man of social standing people seem to really respect Boaz you get to that if you read on into chapter four Um, uh, and so what does he do with his power where he uses it to serve and care for others, to make a place where his employees are safe, where young single women who he could do whatever he wanted with, where they're safe. uh, And he brings them in and makes them belong. Yeah, other things. What else do we see about Boaz? Okay. Yeah. You see that in how he handles Ruth, doesn't he? Um, He... He's a man of detail, if you missed that on YouTube, who cares about the details. He doesn't miss small things um, and cares for people like Ruth. Yeah, any other things you want to note about Boaz? How does he remind us of the Lord Jesus? Maybe I forgot to ask that question about Ruth too. How does his great, great, great grandson have the fragrance of Boaz on him? Yeah, yeah. Protector, provider. Uh, Ruth uses a very special word of him. Verse 13, she says, you've spoken kindly to your servants. And that, that's Boaz's word. If you've ever read the Jesus Storybook Bible with um, children or grandchildren, that's the, the, the Hebrew word hesed, this covenant love that God has. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's defined something like, this is God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. His, his love poured out Locked in by his own covenant in in the blood of his own son. This kind of kind, gracious, protecting, undeserved, always and forever. He's never going to give up on you kind of love. But you don't just see that in Boaz. Because who's made the big promise to to be faithful to to Naomi beyond the grave? Ruth. She's Mrs. Hesed and Boaz. They're really well matched, aren't they? Two beautifully kind people. Agents of kindness to everybody around them. Ruth leaves everything to come home with Naomi and give her a child, to carry on the family name. Um, Boaz is the one who says, come on, I'm going to show you kindness, however much it costs me. Okay, good. Th- I think that's um, a great place to start. So really, there's, there's these two big characters. If you wanted three points to, um, to note down or keep in mind, we see a woman of action. We've talked about her. We see a, a man of honour and a third character, actually, who maybe we've missed out, in what Naomi says at the end of the chapter, you see a god of mysterious kindness. He's the one who's been behind all of this, even Ruth's steps, guiding her into the field. So she just so happened to walk into Boaz, who just so happened to be of their clan, who just so happened to be the right guy, single, in his um, in his age, as you'll find if you read the rest of the story, just so happened to be the right man to fix the situation and and bring God's promises to fulfillment. Okay, let's work through and, and see if we can mop up a couple of things and learn some uh, learn some things, some more things from Ruth and Boaz and this mysteriously kind God. The first is, when we look at Ruth taking initiative, I think there's a lesson for us in planning our futures, in working out how God guides us. How does God guide Ruth and Naomi in this situation? Well, think of it. They've just come back from Moab. They're hungry they're exhausted emotionally spiritually physically under a dark cloud wondering what the future could hold they've got almost nothing left they can't see the future they don't have the capacity to make big plans and dream big dreams they do that in the next chapter they, they really push the boat out and and naomi comes up with an audacious plan in chapter 3 but right now they don't have the kind of spiritual or psychological resources to make a big plan for the future so what do they do they take the godly next step. It's a good phrase to remember. When you're not sure what to do, just do the next godly thing. And what is the next godly thing for Ruth and Naomi? Go get some food. That's, that's all they can do this next day, the first day back in Bethlehem. Well, it's harvest time. We're hungry. I'm going to go out and get some food, says Ruth. Take the godly next step. It's a really good rule of thumb. When you're not sure what to do, you you don't have the capacity to work out a great big life plan. You don't know what the future will hold. After that diagnosis, the doctor wipes out your diary for the next few months and says, I'm sorry, you have to come for chemo every couple of weeks for the next six months. Plans are over. When whatever happens and you just don't know what the future holds, how do you walk? Well, you trust yourself into the hands of the promise-keeping God, Take the godly next step. That's what Ruth does. What promises is she trusting? Well, she's trusting the promises, obscure promises, about gleaning. If you go back into the Old Testament, you'll see that that there were these rules that God set apart for people at harvest time. If you're wealthy and you own a field, you're not allowed to mow and um, tidy up to the very edge of the field. You have to leave a little bit. And if anything drops out of your wheat sheaf as your barley when you're gathering it up. If anything falls out, you're not allowed to pick it up again. It's illegal to pick it up and put it back in. You can't be very tidy in your harvesting. Why? Because that's God's provision for the poor. For people who don't have work, who don't have food, gives them the the dignity of work and the provision of food to go and pick it up and tidy up the loose ends and take something home for supper. God's wonderful provision, his promise in his land of promise, but remember, it's a lawless place. Nobody's keeping God's laws. So what does Ruth do? She trusts herself into God's hands, that there will be somebody who's keeping his law. And she, she trusts herself that this land of promise will be the place where promises are kept. Does that, does that make sense? She's trusting God, even in going out and taking the godly next step. Just doesn't know what else to do. Go get some food. Trust God's provision. That's one, maybe the big lesson of Ruth's life. Um, from this chapter. Um, And then we get to Boaz. How does Boaz meet Ruth's faith, Ruth's trust, Ruth's, what was the word you used, loyalty um, to Naomi? Well, he comes along and wow, he's a whirlwind of godliness, isn't he? He's somebody who comes in and the first words on his lips are the Lord. The Lord be with you. And everybody else responds, the Lord be with you. And he notices this woman. And he knows a bit of her background as as soon as he recognizes who she is. And the um, uh, the helpful servant says, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. See how many times he says the word Moabite. Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge says, she's the young Moabite, nudge, nudge, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And the subtext behind that, the kind of atmosphere is, we all know what Moabites are like. Go back and read, I think it's Numbers 25. And you'll read the stories. We know what Moabite women are like. They're the ones who come along and drag our young men off in temptation. If you are a mother of boys, these are the kind of people who, when you sat them down to have that chat, you would say to them, any woman except Moabite women, You don't go anywhere near those. You keep clear of these kind of women because we all know what the Moabites are like. If you read the old stories, but Boaz isn't like that. Boaz sees this woman, doesn't brush her off in a kind of racist way, you know, as the Moabite, like his servant seems to do. What does he do with this person who everybody else has pushed to the corner of the field? He brings her in, doesn't he? So when he says to her, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come and take refuge, may he repay you and may he wrap his wings around you, what's he beginning to do already? He's beginning to answer his own prayer, isn't he? He says to her, may God look after you. And then begins to look after her, gives her lunch, gives her extra to take. It's kind of a funny line. They don't just drop things by accident. He says, pull some extra out. So they, they're supposed to go, oh, oops, dropped it a little bit extra over here. Ruth, come on. And she's supposed to run after them and pick up. And she has an awful lot. If you look up how much weight she carries home, it's quite a big load. So that, hope you got it when I was reading it. When Naomi sees how much she's, She's shocked, (laughs) Whose field are you working in? Because nobody does the gleaning thing around here anymore, but somebody obviously has taken an interest in you. It's amazing how much Boaz gives her, he's a provider, wrapping his wings around her graciously, covering her shame too. Can you notice that, can you see that as as a theme? Everybody else has pushed her to the corner, the nudge, nudge, wink, wink, the Moabite woman. We don't want anything to do with her, but Boaz does. Boaz sees this person who's on the edge of the society, who's alone, and says to her, you're not going to be alone anymore. Sees this person, everybody's pushed away, and says, I'm going to bring you close. See this person who's covered in shame, questionable, dodgy character, and says, no, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I am going to bear all of that shame. I'm going to wrap you under my wings and take all of that heat, all of those arrows, of other people's daggers looking at you. I don't care what they think, I'm gonna cover you. Where did Boaz learn that? That's an interesting question. If you turned, uh, maybe we don't have time to go all the way there now, but to Matthew's genealogy, Matthew chapter one, Boaz and Ruth are mentioned there. And if you trace their line just a little bit back, you work out who Boaz's mother was. Do you know who anybody, obscure Bible trivia, who was Boaz's mother? Rahab. Yeah, good. Well, well done. Um, Good knowledge. Boaz's mother was Rahab. Who was Rahab? A foreigner who was a prostitute, about as low as you can get. So imagine little Boaz, baby Boaz, or maybe, I don't know, toddler, primary school age Boaz, wandering around the market with his foreigner, former prostitute mother. Imagine the kind of looks that they would get from people. She looks different. And then they work out who she is, and everyone can imagine lots of people giving her a wide berth, not wanting to come near to her, looking at daggers, dragging their husbands a little bit closer. Everybody looks down their nose at at Rahab. And so Boaz has learned what that's like, to be an outsider, to be a bit of a half-breed, you know, from a, a young age. And so he's the one who sees. He's the one who sees people on the edge, sees people who don't belong, because perhaps he didn't belong. Perhaps his mother suffered the same thing. And so as his father, Salmon, had covered his mum's shame and said, no, you belong in my family. You belong with the people of Israel. So Boaz, learning from his father, learning from his mother, he becomes a shame bearer too, the one who loves to cover the sins and shame of others. Does that remind you of anybody? It's the Lord Jesus, isn't it? It's Boaz's great, great, great grandson who says, I'll do what my father has sent me here to do. To bring all of you lost sinners, even the Gentiles far, far away, to bring you close and cover your shame. To say, those of you don't belong? Yes, you really do. You belong in my temple, my household, my people, my family, my body. You're not out there anymore. You get to come in. How did he do that? Well, he died on a cross. Where? Outside the city. So that we who are outside the city can come in. What did he do when he died on the cross? He tore the temple curtain in two, broke down the dividing wall of hostility, it says in Ephesians 2, so that anybody, every tribe and tongue and nation, Moabites, Jerichoites like Rahab, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever people think of you, Jesus does not care what they think. He looks at you and loves you, looks at you and says, you've come to take refuge under God's wings? Well, I'll wrap my wings around you. For I am the son of God, the shame bearer. Do you see who Boaz is? He's the one who provides that kind of love. And Jesus is the one who fulfills it, who brings us close as his people. So here's the practical thing for us. If Ruth teaches us a lesson about guidance and how to step into the future when you can't plan for it, Boaz teaches us a lesson about evangelism, doesn't he? I think he asks us to ask the question of ourselves, of our community, Here in Kladach, who are the Rahabs? Who are the Moabites? Who are the people on the edge who everybody else looks down on? Who everybody else has forgotten and pushed to the margins? Who are the people you at least expect to wander into church on a Sunday morning? Well, they're the people you must go and get. They're the people Jesus went to find. To the highways and the byways, to the edges, to the hedgerows and said, come and collect them in, bring them into the feast. That's what Boaz did. That's what his great-grandson did. That's what his people, with his heart, with his spirit, must do. So who are they? Maybe you can talk about that later. Who are the Moabites here? I don't know. Do you know them by name? Have you gone and paid attention to the details of their lives and said, come on, I know you don't feel like you belong, but you really do, and you belong with us. Refugees, the poor, prostitutes, sinners, people, I don't know, whoever they are. Who are the Moabites here? And how can you have Boaz's, Jesus's heart for them? to bring them in. Well, we've learned from Ruth, we've learned from Boaz. Um, One last thing to see is the God of mysterious kindness. What does Naomi say? In the beginning of chapter, end of chapter one, Naomi said, change my name. I want to be called bitterness now because God's hand is against me. And now Naomi says, he hasn't forgotten us. Did you see that? Um, Verse 22. It's good, my daughter, that you go. Oh, no, it's not. It's verse 20, uh, 20. May he, may he be blessed. Boaz be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Chapter one, she says, God has left me. End of chapter two, she says, no, he really hasn't. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16, verse 9, and she can see that now. She can see the light peeking out. It was always there, but she, she can see now God's mysterious kindness, God's mysterious providence working in her life, working to bring a saviour, a redeemer, working to bring the empty people to fullness, to bring those who are bowed down and crushed to stand upright again. One last interesting line to notice: when um, all of this happens, verse 23, Ruth keeps close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvests. Apparently, I'm no farmer, but apparently when barley ripens, which is where they, when they come back at the end of chapter one, the barley harvest is about to begin. When barley ripens, it hunches over, as they are at the beginning of chapter, at the end of chapter one, bent over, crushed by the weight of sorrow and grief. When wheat ripens, stands up straight. So do you see what's happened? Even in the little note at the end of the story about when this happens is a picture of what God has done. They came home crushed, bent over like a barley sheaf. But in the meantime, as they harvested and harvested and got to ha- wheat harvest time, the Lord has picked them up again, stretched them up and said, come on, I haven't left you. I haven't forsaken you. You're my people. You're my children. I'm come in and belong in my family. Well, how do we respond to that grace? I think we've got to pray, don't we? And we can model our prayers on what Ruth says to Boaz. What does she say? Well, why have you taken any notice of me? Verse 10, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice me since I'm a foreigner? And Boaz says, I'm noticing you because you've come to take refuge under God's wings. And your life shows that you've done that. You've met a new God, somebody who is just different, different from all those idols you knew before. You've come to the God who picks up crushed people and raises them up to stand on their two feet again by his strength.